630 Chad Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins. Weekdays at 6 on 630 Chad. Edmonton's home for breaking news on your favorite teams. Now, Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins on the voice of your Oilers and Eskimos. 630 Chad. Tomorrow in this time slot, hockey. Will it be the last game of the season? Penguins home to the Sharks. If the Penguins win, they're done. If the Sharks win, back to San Jose for game six on Sunday. Thanks a lot for tuning in tonight. Cleveland leading Golden State, 2.49 left in the first half. So the Warriors fighting back after Cleveland absolutely burst out of the gate and uh, took a quick lead early on. Blue Jays won 7-2 over Detroit. Donaldson had a three-run homer. Uh, by the, oh, Kevin Love, by the way, not playing for Cleveland tonight. He's out with uh, with an injury. Uh, 780-496-0063. You can text 630-630 if you uh, want to get a hold of me. Always glad when you do that. Uh, tell you what, less than two months from now, we will be into the Summer Olympics in Rio de Janeiro. I should mention a, a big uh, tune-up for that. It's going to be happening in Edmonton, the Canadian Track and Field Championships. The qualifiers are uh, in Edmonton in early July, so that's a storyline we'll be following. But uh, interesting what is going on, or perhaps not going on, in, uh, in some ways, things that haven't been done or have been overlooked in Rio de Janeiro. And to talk about that, CBC Olympic broadcast host, Scott Russell, checking in tonight. Scott, welcome to Inside Sports. How are you doing? Good, Reed. How are you doing? Well, I'm doing great, man. And i uh, got some notes in front of me. Uh, political unrest, recession, polluted water, Zika virus. It must be an Olympic Games segment, right, Scott? <laughs> yeah. Isn't it always the way, Reed? Uh you know, in the years leading up to the games, wherever they may be, whether it's Sochi or whether it's Athens or whether it's Rio in this case, uh, everybody tries to find what's wrong with the Olympic host city. And uh, inevitably, those shortcomings uh, come out. Um, but I have to tell you, I've, uh, I've been to Rio de Janeiro. I was there for the uh, 100 Days Out celebration. And it's interesting, you know, because from a sporting perspective, uh, all of the venues, with the exception of the velodrome, were done, and the velodrome now has the track in it. Uh, these are legacy venues of the 2007 Pan American Games. So from a sporting perspective, things look great in Rio. But then, you know, you get past the wide shot and you see those distractions, the political unrest, the polluted water, and there's no doubt about it, some of the water is polluted in the Rio area. And then there's a deep recession uh, that's hit the country. So there are a lot of distractions facing the people of Brazil, but from a sporting perspective, the Olympics will go on. You know that. Yeah, well, and they, and they always they always do. I mean, the, the one thing that has always struck me about this, and, and it's a story that uh, surfaced, for lack of a better word, I mean, years ago, was the polluted water. I mean, you heard horror stories about athletes, you know, swimming in sewage and stuff like that. Um, and it appears that the, the, the promise to, you know, to make that bay a little cleaner, um, you know, hasn't, hasn't been fulfilled. How have you seen it develop? Well, and, and that's exactly what 
uh, has taken place, Reed, is that one of the legacies of these Olympic Games was to be uh, better water in the Rio de Janeiro area and the uh, sewage system to be uh, much more sophisticated. The recession has hit the country. Uh, quite frankly, uh, they've run out of money. And the first thing to be sacrificed is the legacy peeps, uh, which is the, in, you know, the better sewage system for the water of the Rio de Janeiro area. I can tell you, having been there, that the problem is uh, Guanabara Bay, which is where the sailing venue will be. Um, we talked to a Brazilian sailor who's won a couple of Olympic gold medals. He's uh, one of the greatest athletes in his country's history. And, you know, he's saddened by the fact, almost embarrassed by it, um, because what will happen is they'll keep the sailing lanes clear uh, by skimming the water for the course of the Olympics, but then the water quality will revert to what it was before, after the Games. And he's very saddened by that, that the legacy of clean water won't develop. But I also have to tell you that the water at Copacabana, where the open water swimming will be, where the triathletes will swim, uh, that water is relatively clean. It's not a big problem. They've had test events there. Richard Weinberger, who won a bronze medal for Canada in open water swimming in London, has been at the test event and didn't have a problem there. I was at the lagoon where the rowing and the canoe kayak will be, and that water appears to be quite good. So I think the major problem is at Guanabara Bay, uh, where there is quite devastatingly polluted water. They'll keep it clean for the course of the games, but then it will revert to the problem afterwards. Okay. Yeah, well, that, that's going to be tough uh, tough for people to hear. Um, did you, do you expect, and I, I know you're not there daily, obviously, but you, you were there relatively recently. Is, is there a... a, a dampened mood among Brazilians because of all the other stuff that that we mentioned is is the enthusiasm dial turned down a little bit for what you would expect from an Olympic host when I was there uh, was at a hundred days out and there wasn't a lot of buzz surrounding the Olympics now there are distractions uh, and those distractions we talked about the political unrest um, the water quality, uh, the economic situation, deep recession uh, in Brazil. Zika is not uh, a preoccupation of the Brazilians. I mean, you know, they, they walk around very few clothes. Uh, it's warm. Um, and I didn't see a mosquito uh, for the entire week that I was there. I don't see Zika as being a major threat uh, because it is the cool season entering winter in Rio de Janeiro when the games are on. But I think these distractions conspire, Reed, to um, dampen the enthusiasm right now. There's also another factor, and we saw this before the FIFA World Cup in 2014. Brazilians are notoriously latecomers to the party. Uh, so, you know, there wasn't a lot of enthusiasm. There were protests prior to the FIFA World Cup. And then when we got to the World Cup, the stadiums were full. There was a party-like atmosphere, and the World Cup was very good. Um, this, this is likely to be the case for the Olympics. Again, as I say, from a sporting perspective, things are ready to go. There'll be a carnival-like atmosphere. Uh, that's what Brazilians are like, particularly in Rio. 
And I think you'll see the enthusiasm really dialed up in the next couple of weeks. Scott Russell joining us on Inside Sports. Of course, he's with CBC Sports. During the Olympics, he's going to be hosting Olympic Games primetime. Scott, how many uh, many Olympics is this going to be for you? Uh, This will be number 13, Reed. I hate to admit it, but hey, listen, I'm I'm way behind my... Uh, one of my idols, the late Richard Garneau of Reggio Canada, he went to 23 Olympic Games, so I've got a ways to go yet, Lee. Yeah, well, that that's amazing. Uh, it's going to be 13 more than I've been able to cover, so that that's awesome. But we, we mentioned off the top, I mean, there's always something, maybe it's human nature a little bit to try to find flaws or, or find negativity. The, the Olympics always happen. There are always great stories. There are always great athletic feats. We're always cheering for Canadians to win medals. Um, but, but, I mean, of those 13, though, have there been somewhere you've come out of and said, okay, you know, maybe that wasn't the doom and gloom that people thought, but, uh, you know, that was a bit of itch. I mean, you still hear stuff that, you know, Athens wasn't that great in the end. I mean, I mean maybe I'm wrong. You were, you were there. But, I mean, you hear different things once things are done. Are there anywhere you look back on and say some of those, some of those concerns were, were pretty well-founded? Uh, you know, Athens, uh, it, it turned out to be a great Olympics because it's the home of the modern Olympics. First games were in Athens in 1896. And I, having been there and being able to see the ancient Panathinaikos Stadium uh, and the marathon finish there and, and seeing what took place in Athens, I mean, I loved those games. But certainly uh, the legacy of those games, uh, those venues are now uh, overgrown. They're crumbling um, you know, Athens may have not been ready to host an Olympic Games in the modern era. Um, I look back at that, and, and the, the legacy is, is not great from those games. Um, I, I will tell you that uh, although some great things happened in Atlanta in 1996, Donovan Bailey won two gold medals uh, in Atlanta. Uh, there were some fantastic sporting achievements. I didn't really get a feel for those games. Um, I, I think those games were in many respects bought by Coca-Cola. They were hugely corporate-sponsored games. I didn't get any kind of feeling of, of lasting texture of the games from Atlanta. Um, but some of the other games I've been to have been absolutely fantastic. I think of Sydney in 2000. Uh, and uh, Homebush was a wonderful Olympic park, and all that happened with Kathy Freeman, the Aboriginal runner, winning the 400 meters in Sydney. It was it was just spectacular. Simon Whitfield won the gold medal in triathlon, and then Beijing, the sheer enormity of it mm-hmm. in Beijing, and the bird's nest, the water cube, um, and Usain Bolt. I mean, that was that was just fantastic spectacle. You know, it was. It was great stuff. Yeah. Well, I got to tell you, I'll always remember Bailey in Atlanta. That's that, that's the that's the big one for me. I'll never forget the the, the Don Whitman call. That's uh, absolutely classic. Hopefully, there are classic Canadian moments in uh, in Brazil, and uh, uh, I'm sure you're right that once it's uh, once it's closer, it's going to be a pretty good party. Hey, man, I know you're busy. Thanks a lot for taking the time to join us. Always love having you on the show. Hey, Reed. Uh, look forward to the Olympics, and all the best to you. Thanks a lot, Scott. Scott Russell from CBC, huge part of their Olympic coverage. Yeah, it's going to be his 13th Olympic Games that he has covered. Matthew, did you attend? 
the Vancouver Olympics or any other ones in your life? You've gone to some pretty big sporting events. Sadly, Reed, I don't know why I decided not to go to Vancouver, and I deeply, deeply regret it. Yeah, I mean, sometimes I wonder, too, why didn't I just apply for... Because there was a draw for some tickets, right? Especially the hockey games. Yeah, why didn't I just uh, try for something? I don't know. You know why? Because I'm, I'm cheap. My mom went, though. My mom did go. She went to the Olympics. She went and saw some of the uh, speed skating. Uh, short track or long track? Long track. See, I think I would be more likely to go to uh, the short track because it's just its so wild, right? It's so unpredictable. The, it's, I mean, obviously, it's fast. It's speed skating, but whipping around. And the I hate to say this, but the crashes, right? I mean, it, it's so... I mean, sometimes guys have crossed the finish line and won the race because everybody else is lying on the ice in a heap behind them. And it's like, oh, look at me. I just won. Uh, Olympics in Brazil. Which are you, Would you have a Olympics that you prefer to watch? I mean, here's the thing. Summer has way more sports. Winter has the hockey. Well, I mean, I love the track and field reading this summer, and I also love the swimming with Michael Phelps. I'm, I'm interested to see how Phelps is going to do this year in the Olympics, to see if he's even relevant or not. Because, you know, he's old now, right? So, for, Well, for, yeah, by swimming athletic terms, he's, he's a little... Golf is in the Olympics this time around, yes. by the way. I wonder who have they announced. Has any country announced who's going to be representing? I don't them? think they're. I don't think they're finalized yet. I think some guys have said they wouldn't go. Right? If oh they, yeah. If they did qualify, has Canada qualified for it or not? I think we get two guys, don't we? Well, Graham Dillette and uh, David Herman have to go. We, right? We're going to look this up now. Uh, we'll look it up and we'll give, come back with that after the break. Inside sports on Chet and golf uh, talk ahead too with Dick Sokol. You're listening to 630 Ched Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins. All right, so here's how it's going to work, Matthew. According to the internet, golf at the Olympics, qualification will be based on the world rankings as of July 11th, okay? With a total of 60 players qualifying in each of the men's and women's events. So a small field, 60 people. Uh, the top 15 players of each gender will qualify with a limit of four golfers per country who can qualify this way. The remaining spots will go to the highest-ranked players from countries who do not already have two golfers qualified. Okay? So if you have four players in the top 15, you can get in four. Otherwise, you get in two. Um, now, a lot of the players in the top 60 are American. I, I would say about half. Uh, there is not a Canadian in the top 100, so I would think all the spots would be used up before we got to a Canadian, depending on what happens in the in tournaments between now and then. Does, does that kind of make sense? Yeah, it quick does. Quick on-the-fly explanation? Good ex- good explanation is always what right. I, sorry to cut you off. What I, what, what I would have liked is if there would have been match play. Instead of tournament play, it would have been loved to have a, ma- a match play tournament at the Olympics, but they decided not to do that. Seven eight zero four nine six zero zero six three. You can also text us to six thirty six thirty. The latest question for Matthew Panashik. You're down to your last life. Who was the head coach of the Edmonton Oil Kings when they won the Memorial Cup in 2014? Oh, Derek Laxdahl. Derek Laxdahl. Oh, now it all hangs on the next question. Matthew <laughs> Panashik Trivia Challenge. Three right, two wrong. 
He's only allowed to have three wrong. You get a nice little fist pump there, buddy. That was great. It's uh, 8-24, halftime. Game three of the NBA Finals, uh, 51-49, Cleveland leading Golden State. I got a text here from Jared. Uh, I'll read the whole thing. Hey, Reed, do you think that the new Rogers uh, Center, Rogers Place it's going to be called, I think that's what he means, do you think that the new Rogers Place is going to feel like you're in a mechanized stadium when you watch the game, no feeling, no nothing, just like in baseball when they opened the Astrodome in Houston in 1967 and all of the other hideous cookie-cutter ballparks built shortly after, only to be ripped down for all the beautiful retro parks. It's funny that hockey ripped down all of its palaces for cookie-cutter arenas. The question is how much longer can the NHL try to dupe the public with giant scoreboards, futuristic rinks, and six-foot-four lugs standing in the neutral zone for $300 a ticket. I say in 15 years, hockey will be where baseball was in the early 90s with empty ballparks. Okay, Jared, first of all, thank you for the text. I think you're mixing your topics a little bit because the, the, the style of the play has nothing to do with the rinks. So we won't worry about the six-foot-four guys uh, plugging up the neutral zone. Um, do I think Rogers Center is going to be a, a stadium with no feeling or no nothing? No, I don't, and, and here's why. Because I, I think when it comes to hockey rinks, they get their, their feeling from the fans. And if there's one thing I know, the Oilers fans care. And they want a good team, and if the team does get better, it's going to be a very joyful and noisy place to have a hockey game. I mean, look, Jared, obviously I haven't seen a game there yet. I went on a tour about a week and a half ago, and... It's not quite a finished building. I do feel like it has its own uniqueness to it. I mean, it's not a complete bowl. The side behind the uh, the end behind the Oilers' net that they're going to defend twice is going to be straight up and down because there's a whole bunch of theater boxes and suites and even a nightclub on the top level. Um, it's it's large, but it doesn't feel vast. They they built up instead of building up. So I think it'll still have a bit of an intimate feeling. Uh, there's open windows to bring in light and to have a view of downtown. So I, I think it'll kind of have its own character in that way. Look, is it going to be modern? Yeah, absolutely it will. Is it going to have a giant scoreboard? Well, of course it, it will. I think I think fans want that now. I don't really know if, if you can directly compare, at least in my mind, I, I wouldn't directly compare baseball parks to... Hockey rinks. I mean, baseball parks are a little more unique. The dimensions don't all have to be the same. You know, the wall doesn't have to be the same height. I mean, certainly the infield has to be the same dimensions. But other than that, you can play with a baseball stadium. Hockey, football, basketball, the the, the playing surface has to be a certain size. So you you have to build around that. And as much as we celebrate some of these old rinks and old stadiums, I mean, there's a time where you have to say goodbye. I, I mean, I'm, I'm look, I'm glad the Montreal Canadiens still aren't in the Montreal form. I was in Old Yankee Stadium in its second last year of existence. I mean, it was t- it was time to move on. Fenway Park, quite frankly, when you walk around in there, it's a little little dumpy. It's a little dumpy, but you know, it's got. But some some someday you're going to have to move on or spend a lot of money to to fix it up. So. Uh, I don't know. Do, do, do I think there's going to be no feeling and no vibe in Rogers' place? I think a lot of it's going to depend on the quality of the team, quite frankly.
Are you going to go to a game there and feel like you're not engaged in the action? Well, again, I think that depends on the quality of the game. I mean, and look, the, the, the baseball stadium in Pittsburgh, PNC Park, is a retro stadium that is absolutely beautiful. I went to a game there in 2007. It was 80% empty because the team stunk. And then when they have good teams in the last few years, they make the playoffs, it's full. Anyway, a uh, little golf talk with Dick Zokel coming up, and we'll keep you updated on the basketball game. This is Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins on Edmonton Sports Leader, 630 Chad. All right, thanks for tuning in tonight. Inside Sports on 630 Chad. So uh, Cleveland up 58-46 on Golden State. Two minutes into the third quarter. Golden State uh, hanging around after falling behind 17-4 early. 2-0 is the series lead for the Warriors. Uh, can you flip over to uh, football and get me the score, please, buddy? The Blue Jays won this afternoon 7-4 in Detroit. Donaldson had a three-run homer. Maria Sharapova, two-year suspension for that failed drug test earlier this year. Eskimos at Calgary on Saturday, 5.30 on Chad for the pregame show. Kickoff at 7. What do we have going on? Uh, 22-13 Winnipeg with seven minutes to go in the fourth quarter. Seven minutes to go in the fourth quarter. They're moving along at a decent pace. They are. Aren't they? Sometimes these preseason games drag on and on with uh, with all the mistakes. Uh, the Big L texting in. Uh, Reed, that texter said six foot four guys plugging up the neutral zone. Where are the Oilers going to get some of these guys? Or is Rogers Place planning on hiring bouncers? <laughs> Uh, and the knuckler says, ask the fans in Pittsburgh. I'm sure they'd much rather be in the console energy center than the old igloo. I, I do think, I mean, here, and I'm, I'm guilty of it sometimes too. We, we, we tend to look back and say, well, things were better, right? I don't know. Look, Rogers Place is flat out going to be better than, than Rexall Place. It, it, it was just time to move on to that building. That, that doesn't mean great things didn't happen there. That doesn't mean you don't have memories. But, you know, just, just because you... Just because you, uh, won a, uh, you won a track and field ribbon in grade six in your favorite pair of running shoes doesn't mean you wear those running shoes for the rest of your life. Because your feet ain't going to fit. There's newer running shoes. So yes, that's the comparison I'm resorting to, everybody. Rogers Place is this city's new running shoe. <laughs> or something like that. I really got to start thinking before I talk, Matthew Panashik. It was a good try on the analogy, uh, though. People, I, I don't know what I'm going for. I, 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 knew, I knew what you were going for there, so... Yeah. I'm just saying, hey, progress, baby. As long as I know what you're going for, it's all good. Because I'm the guy that has to sit in the booth next to you. So you Yeah, know. if you understand what I'm saying, exactly. we can assume at least 10% of the people listening know what I'm saying. So that's one of our listeners or two? Yeah, because yeah, we got 14 people. Yeah, okay. I, I think we might have 15 tonight. I think there's, there's, there's apparently, I've heard through the grapevine, someone driving through uh, the United States is listening to us thanks to some Wi-Fi tonight. Oh, nice. Yeah. Because you can get the 630 Chet application on your mobile telephone. So there you go. Not with your rotary phone, though. Not with no, your rotary don't, phone. Don't try to download anything on your rotary phone. What percentage of the population do you think doesn't know what a rotary phone is? Oh, I'd say, what, we think 60%? I don't, I, I don't think it's that high. Would it be that high? 
Well, well, I don't know, I'm just saying, right? Because, yeah, I guess even a lot of house phones would not have the rotary dial. They would have the, the touch. That's a good point. That's a good point. For all the parents out there, do your kids know what a rotary phone is? Or if you don't know what a rotary phone is, you can text 630-630. Tell you what, the U.S. Open starts one week from tomorrow. This guy played in five of them. Dick Zokel joining us, former PGA Tour player. Dick, welcome back to Inside Sports. How are you doing, man? I'm doing great, Reed. Great to be back with you, and thank you for the invitation to talk uh, golf, and particularly the U.S. Open, my it, favorite subject. Yeah, well, I want to get into that, but i, I got to ask you, how's, how's life at, uh, at, at Predator Ridge? Have you guys been experiencing some of the heat we've had in Edmonton here recently, or how have things been? Yes, it's been hot. We've, we, we've had uh, various periods of 30-degree weather, literally even a, you know, a month and a half ago. We got off to such a remarkable uh, spring again and i know it's been that way all through alberta last year and particularly this year well we all know what was happening up north as well which is you know not so good on uh, when the weather's dry but uh, we've had a great season we got lots of tea times being booked and more so we're 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 seeing a lot of albertans coming to to relocate into the okanagan so we like that yeah, well, that's right. A pretty, pretty easy trip too for people to head over and uh, and visit you guys. So, what you got the uh, you got the two and the one course is what only about six, seven years old. Yes, the Ridge Course, which is the Doug Carrot Course, which is a, 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 a just a remarkable resort golf course. It opened in 2010 and was voted best new course in Canada, and I think it's ranked i think perhaps like eighth or something like that by score golf magazine so it's it's the it's the crown jewel at at, uh, at predator ridge and we have uh, the uh, original golf course which is the predator course that's uh, we're enjoying our 25th year anniversary wow all right well yeah great stuff you guys are such a great location to visit predatorridge.com of course if uh, if people want to check it out and we are rolling into uh well it's going to be pretty intense here because the the pga is pushed forward because of the olympics so we got um, three golf majors coming up in, a, in about a month and a half. But yeah. uh, the U.S. Open will be another major tournament without Tiger Woods. Obviously, he hasn't played an event since uh, since last August. Uh, I mean, you, you, you overlapped with him, and, and uh, you know, everybody's an interested observer whenever he plays. But there is sort of another generation coming along with Spieth, Day, McElroy, whichever guy you want to pick as your favorite. I mean, are, are we in transition now, or do, you, or do you think we'll ever see a competitive Tiger again? How do you look at the, the state of the game with, with Tiger sort of faded into the background well, a bit? Yeah, I think that uh, I think Tiger is getting uh, a little long in the tooth. There's no doubt about that. There's a lot of question on whether he'll even be coming back. Uh, you know, the back surgeries that he had are are putting him in question. I, I think it's uh, there's no chance of him coming back and being the competitor that he was uh, in his prime. Um, you know, but I think what is happening to your question, you know, the collectiveness of uh, Jordan Spieth and McElroy and and uh, you know got Dustin Johnson in there and Rory uh, are in. Um, all, well, all these guys collectively combined are doing such a fine job that uh, they're basically the next phase of Tiger Woods. And, you know, it's kind of like they were, you know, Tiger's uh, offspring, so to speak, because they didn't play with him, but they were inspired by him when they were younger. And and it's kind of, it's the new, um, you know, they're doing a fine job, and it's what's, uh, what's propelling the PGA Tour at the highest level right now. Dick Zogel joining us on Inside Sports, uh, teeing up the, the U.S. Open. But, but we should sort of, 
combine the Tiger topic with with the U.S. Open. Um, you finished 32nd in the 2000 U.S. Open, and and I checked the leaderboard, and and I'm gonna just preface this by saying to people listening, this is not a comment on how you played, but I think a comment on how the guy who won it played. I believe mm-hmm. you were 25 shots off the lead. I mean, a lot of times mm-hmm. you could finish 32nd and you might be eight shots off the lead. Right. Uh, Woods Woods ran away with, I mean, what do you remember about that week at Pebble Beach? Well, well I do have to say this, because that uh, 2000 at U.S. Open on Sunday, and, and you've got to check the records on this, I set a U.S. Open record for nine holes that Sunday. I shot 30 on the front nine on Sunday. Uh, so I can say that I kicked Tiger's butt for that nine holes. <laughs> Very proud of that record. I, but I do must uh, preface that with the 80 that I shot on the third round at Pebble that uh, week. But uh, there's no doubt that that will go down in history as just one of the most um, abnormal majors uh, you know, the U.S. Open always prides itself with shoot making it such a tough golf course where the winner usually shoots one under par and the person who finishes second shoots even par or above. And that was very normal for 2000 at U.S. Open. Ernie Els, I think he, or is it, I can't recall if it was uh, Jose Marie, and, um, Jimenez. They tied no, for second, yep. They tied at one over par, was it? Uh, let me double check here. I got multiple well, scores. Anyway, they were, three, they were over, three over, yep three over but tiger was like 12 under yeah <laughs> and you know in all of my time and i played with jack nicholas and i played with arnold palmer and and i i never saw such a performance gap in my life and that's when all of us who were playing golf went oh my gosh this is someone who is literally surpassing um, you know, performance compared to his peers than, than Jack Nicholas did. And, uh, and then he went on a run and he lasted eight more years after that. And before he, uh, um, you know, the, the incident with the fire hydrant that uh, caused probably the collapse of his career. Yeah. Yeah. That, that was an in, in, incredible week. And, and I think during that run too, I mean, uh, you, you often see people, well, what if, you know, there hadn't been a Tiger, how many majors would Ernie Els and Phil Mickelson and some of them right. have all had who, who have a lot of seconds on their on their record book, largely because of, because of Tiger Woods. The, That's a good point. Yeah. That's a very good point because, you know, he has absolutely picked the pocket of Ernie Els and Phil Mickelson and, and you know, David Duvall. And, and then there's you sprinkling a few other people that, were, that would come out of the blue and win that aren't the names. There's no doubt he dominated for such a... Uh, a long period of time. So, I mean, you played several U.S. Opens, and, and it's coming up next week at one of the, I guess, classic U.S. Open courses in Oakmont in Pennsylvania. You, you mentioned the rough and some of the things they do, and you and I talked last summer, too, after they had the one uh, in Chambers Bay in Washington. Yeah. A setup I didn't like that much, but but you liked it. But, but clearly... Yep. You know, they always try to make, like you said, even part of the score. What are we going to see at at, uh, at Oakmont? I mean, or give us a sense. I mean, is the rough twice as high, twice as thick as when you play a regular tour event? What are some of the things they actually wind up doing? Well, Oakmont is the epitome U.S. Open um, uh, venue. Um, some say, and, it, and, and, and I do want to, you know, tell your listeners that Oakmont by itself is the most difficult golf course day in, day out of any, pri- any golf club in the United States. Some say that in order to prepare Oakmont for the uh, U.S. Open, they have to make it easier. Wow. Okay. <laughs> I mean, and they pride, them, 
<laughs> the pride, the membership prides itself, and this is by a part of the articles of the company, uh, of the membership of the club, that they want this to be the most difficult and challenging golf course, day in, day out. And, and it also happens to be the most difficult uh, golf course on the road for U.S. Open. So it's going to be brutally tough. Um, and it, but it's tough in a good way. You know how we were talking about there's, it's very easy for architects to make a tough golf course. You just make an island green, and, and it's very difficult. But Oakmont uh, is a remarkable design. It's a very fair golf course, but very demanding. It's, in my mind, the perfect golf course for the U.S. Open. Well, yeah, and this one... Like I mentioned, it, it's it's hosted it a lot. It's been I mean it's been around over 110 years, which it's incredible uh, in itself that it's been there that long. It, it, you you brought up a point there, and, and we were talking about a bit before we we came on air. Uh, I'm probably not going to walk on Oakmont and expect to shoot a very good score. Maybe if I played off the whites, I could hang in there. What's the what's the biggest I don't know if obstacle is the right word, but challenge to keep the everyday golfer in, engaged when it comes to maybe things like course design and a fair test of someone's ability. Well, I, I, it's, that's, a, that's a tough one. I think that um, I, the only thing that really keeps, in, in my mind, when it comes to the U.S. Open, and I think the U.S. Open is such a distinct uh, uh, championship, um, and it's, it, the U.S. Open is all about... Um, the last man standing it's a it's a it's a it's a torture test for the players um and i love that for the u.s open i don't think the pga tour would want it on a regular basis and i don't think the viewers want to see that but to test these guys in the most you know toughest situation that's the drama right there to watch these guys you know trying to play well and 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 lose their mind at times because it, the situation is so difficult and the golf course is so difficult is very entertaining in, in you know trying to hold the pressure of dealing with the US Open it's very distinct from that of a Masters or or a British Open um, and I love it it's just you know it, it, they call it the most democratic tournament and that's because uh, just yesterday they had or excuse me on Monday they had uh, you know, they had about, I think there's about 50 to 70 people that to open qualify. It was open to anyone. There were 9,000 entries for it. And I love that. I think it's so fantastic. If you're, if you have a low enough handicap and you pay your 150 bucks, you can enter the U S open qualifying. It's, 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 it's the most democratic golf tournament in the world. Yeah. So I, I, I was going to end with that one, but I ask you one more because because you, you brought up the the test and, and the last man standing type mentality, and maybe this brings it back to some of the conversation about Tiger as well. Um, I mean, how much is between the ears, especially when it comes down to the, the the back nine of a of a major? If a lot of guys are within two shots, I mean, at that point, is it just the guy who blocks out everything that's yeah. going on besides hitting his next shot? It's a hundred percent, a hundred percent psychological at that point because. First of all, I think everyone in you know everyone gets beaten up uh, by it, and and uh, Jack Nicholas used to always say that uh, you know the guys that are complaining about how difficult the golf course is, and they get the golf course where it's just about ready to die, and it's almost at the edge of unplayable. Those people beat themselves up psychologically, and they're removed. So you know your superior approach, your attitude, you know your tenacity, your fight, your will to live. It's like. It's like uh, hell week trying to become a seal. <laughs> and, uh, you know, those who survive are the ones that are going to have contention. And the one who has the strongest will 
is the person that will win. Yeah. Well, it, it's going to be fun. Dick, really appreciate your time. It's always great to talk golf with you. I hope we can do this again later on this summer. And glad things are going well for you at Predator Ridge, man. Keep in touch. Thanks so much, Reed. Anytime, buddy. That is Dick jo- uh, Dick Zokel checking in. Yeah, the head pro at Predator Ridge in uh, British Columbia. Beautiful place, PredatorRidge.com if you want to check it out. I love that about Oakmont. They pride themselves on having one of the hardest, if not the hardest, course in the United States, and they might have to actually make it easier to get to U.S. Open standards. Hard to imagine. Last time the U.S. Open was there, 2007, Angel Cabrera one, it'll be a U.S. Open-themed question when we get back as we finish off the Matthew Panasic Trivia Challenge. 72-54, Cleveland leading Golden State. Four minutes left in the third quarter, Game 3 of the NBA Finals. Your home for breaking news and expert opinion. Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins on 630 Chad. You know, I was thinking, Matthew... Oakmont in Pennsylvania, U.S. Open coming up there next week. Priding itself on being one of the toughest courses in the United States. I don't know if I, I wouldn't want to be a member there. <laughs> I'd be like, no, I don't want to torture myself for four hours every time I golf. Yeah, would it, would it, even, be, would it even be fun, Reed, to go and play, do like that? You know, like, you got to give yourself some breaks some days and play a tough course than play an easy course, right, compared to just playing a tough well, course all the time. I guess you get, you get used to it. You but, want fair courses, right? And I, yeah. and I guess if you're a, a really good player, it's it's fair. And, and, I mean, the winner next week will likely shoot probably even, right? Yep. So, well, though Cabrera back in – I mean, Cabrera won in 2007 five over. So – uh, this portion of the show brought to you by Action Furnace, home of the fixed right or its free guarantee. Visit actionfurnace.ca. Uh, it's 854. 79-59. Cleveland leading Golden State late in the third quarter. 38-13. Winnipeg up on Montreal. In CFL preseason action, the Blue Jays played this afternoon and won 7-2 in Detroit. R.A. Dickey got the win. This texter says, highly unlikely Tiger will ever play at a competitive level well enough to win if he plays again. His back is so messed up after three surgeries that I don't think it's possible. You know, I never really cheered for Tiger Woods when he played. I I enjoyed watching him. I enjoyed him being challenged by other players. And now I kind of wish, like, man, I'd love to see him win one more. But I think that texture, yeah, just with the back problems and how basically he doesn't play anymore, it's it's hard to imagine even five years from now, like Nicholas did at the age of 46, coming back and winning a major. But he's amazed us before. Maybe he will do it again. Matthew Panasic, your final question. Who did Tiger Woods beat in a playoff to win the 2008 U.S. Open? That was Tiger's last major. Rocco Mediate. Matthew Panasic, you have amazed me again. Often, it's with how unusual you are. Tonight, it's with your knowledge of sports trivia. Good job, buddy. Not bad. I got two wrong, though. Disappointed in myself. Well, you got four to six. Hey, in baseball, you'd be like the best player who ever lived. (laughs) (laughs) If you hit hit four out of six all the time. Good point. Good point. All right. Uh, By the way, speaking of golf, I I, I bit the bullet and took a golf lesson on Monday up at the quarry with Taylor Sinski, the director of golf, thequarryedmonton.com. Keep an eye on my Twitter account and the 630Ched YouTube channel next week. We're going to be unveiling some uh, cool videos for the quarry uh, starting next week and then in the weeks to come. How's that sound? That sounds pretty cool. And one one thing I like about the quarry, and I think other courses are doing, I mean, everybody has, you know, there's the colored tees, right? At the quarry, there are five different tees. They call them decks on every hole. 
right? So deck one, two, three, four, five. And that's what I like. I want to play the course to my ability. I do not hit the ball far. I understand if I hit a poor shot, fine. I should be in the rough or behind a tree, right? But I do not, I don't know about you, Matthew. I do not hit the ball a long way. So if I hit a nice straight drive, I just want it to be somewhere in the fairway, right? And have a shot at the green. I mean, yeah, I can hit it about 230, I think between 220 and 240, not depends bad. how good little, I get it. Farther than I, I mean, honestly, a good drive for me is probably around 200. I don't hit the ball far a long way. Yeah, I'm not a long iron enough. player. I don't play enough to have that rhythm. So I just want it in play. I don't, I don't, I don't want to carry 210 just to reach the fairway. Yeah, right? usually I'm not a very long iron player. Like if I'm 160 to 170 out, I'm probably using a 5 or 4 iron, right? So, so there you go. And some people are using like 8 irons, I know. That I know not so. us, buddy. No. <laughs> not happening. All right, tomorrow, will the Stanley Cup presentation happen? Find out on 6.30, Chad. We have the game starting at 6 o'clock, Penguins against the Sharks. Thanks to our guests tonight. You heard from Dick Zokel, Scott Russell, Dave Campbell, Rob Brown, and Kelly Rudy. Dave Campbell is the producer of the show. Thanks to everybody who called and texted. Always fun to interact with you. Matthew Panashik, you've heard him all night. He's the studio producer. My name is Reed Wilkins. No show tomorrow. Uh, I'm going to a wedding this weekend in B.C. Brendan Ulrich will host on Friday from 8 to 9 on Friday, a special encore presentation of Rexall's Last Stand, our documentary on Rexall Place. We're going to uh, revisit that. It really went over well with a lot of you. I'll be back on Monday, and we'll talk to you then. Enjoy. 6.30 Chad Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins. Weekdays at 6 on 6.30 Chad.